Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, Mets fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And Chris, the Mets are three and three since we last spoke. That is not the uh, the winning streak that we had predicted. Uh, but, you know, baseball is baseball and things change and teams win and lose uh, sometimes games that are very, very frustrating. But the three Mets losses in a row were particularly frustrating because they were two particularly bad teams. They were each six-run losses, a pair of seven-one losses, and a, and a eight-to-two loss, and it just seemed like the Mets, for a couple of days there, totally lost their mojo. There just there there wasn't that swagger, you know. For being four runs down earlier this season, it felt like well, the Mets can come back from that. And on uh, Tuesday's game, when the Mets were down four nothing, I basically started writing the losing recap already because it just seemed like they were not. They were not on their on their game at all uh, for that for that little stretch of time, but they bounced back. They trounced the Pirates in the final two games of the series at PNC Park. 
And, you know, I, I, I think, look, we would love the Mets to have a 10-game lead over the Braves right now. That would be a lovely, lovely bit of, uh, of comfort in this race. But the Mets are still in first place. They have sole possession of first place today. They were briefly tied for first place. Um, I believe that was on Wednesday when the Mets then took two games and reclaimed uh, first place. So, you know, it's it's not ideal, but, you know, these Mets are still on pace. I mean, they have 87 wins already. They're on pace to likely still win 100 games despite, you know, this little mini losing streak. And it just so happens that the Braves have won seven straight again. The Braves have not let up at all. Uh, over the course, you know, since June, essentially, the Braves have just been on a nonstop tear. So I guess my question for you is, um, are you still feeling like the division is likely? Are you still – is there anything – and we'll talk about the injuries in a minute, but in terms of just like the big picture Mets landscape right now, do you feel like the Mets are still the more the most likely team to win the division? And uh, yeah, I guess that's my question. Yeah, yeah, I do. And I think that three-game stretch was not representative of the team that they are. I think we've seen pretty consistently how good this team is this year. And I know this might sound foolish as somebody who's watched the Mets for many years, but one of the things we've touched on a lot is that the team really does feel different. It's it's starting to – I mean, it, it should have been obvious uh, – when they traded for Francisco Lindor, but it's taken a, more than a few months to to kind of have it click uh, in, in a way that they feel this way. But just because they've always had failures in uh, in big spots in Atlanta, right? Or Miami has traditionally been a sort of a, I don't know, uh, Bermuda Triangle of baseball for them, right? It, it, just because we're used to those things doesn't mean we should be overly harsh or unrealistic about the team as it stands today. Uh, so one, they've been in first place. Granted, there was a brief tie there the other day, uh, but they have been in first place every day of the season except for one. And that was in mid-April, just a few games into the season that that they weren't. And two, when they've played head-to-head with the Braves, I know the most recent series didn't go the way their way, but the one before it really did, and the one before that did too. Um, they've just looked like they match up well with them. So I hope the Braves just run into a losing streak and the Mets continue to play as well as they've been playing, which is as one of the top depending on which you know date you checked in on the standings, top two or three teams in baseball by winning percentage. Um, I hope it doesn't come down to the series in Atlanta. But if that series near the end of the month does matter, I, I do think this team is built to play in a high-pressure series like that and succeed. And I, I still think that they match up well with Atlanta head-to-head. Uh, so, yeah, I... I say bring it on. It, it it should be a lot of fun. The nice thing with the current format, and I don't want to make any excuse and say like, oh, well, after spending all of the year in first place, the wild card's fine. I do think that that's a legitimate disappointment. 
but we'd all still be shocked if this team doesn't win a hundred games and they're going to the playoffs. Um, so I guess that as things develop, we can sort of debate how hard they should go for the division and, and all that sort of thing. But as of right now, um, I don't know until proven otherwise, I don't, I don't want to think that they're going to not win the division. So, uh, I think that's a very fair uh, position to take, you know. And look, I I know that <laughs> it's very easy to to sort of micromanage or to, to microanalyze everything here. The Mets are five and five over their last ten games. The Braves are seven and three. If the Mets had simply not shit the bed for three games, the Mets would have the same or the better record over the last ten games than the Braves have had. And I think everybody can admit that the Braves are playing right now more consistent baseball than the Mets are playing. So it's not – there isn't this wide gulf behind between – the, between the way the two teams are playing. I think the Braves are playing a little bit more consistently, and I think that the Mets are about – you know they, they started last weekend, but whatever happened, they are starting to reach the point of the season where they can just cruise a little bit more. So, you know – if they take two or three from Miami this weekend, if they beat up on the Cubs next week, things should be moving essentially in the direction that we are hoping they will. And like you said, if they make the playoffs as the wildcard team, it's not the end of the world. It w- will it disappoint me? Absolutely. Will I look back at the trade deadline and rue that as the moment that things could have changed and didn't? Absolutely. You know, I really think that the lack of a bullpen arm and the lack of a bigger impact bat will go down as big mistakes if the Mets don't win the World Series this year. And that, that that's not me calling the shot for the World Series either. I just think that when you look at the team and how it's constructed, if they just if they just got another guy, if, if they had gotten David Robertson, you know, prick though he may be. And if they had gone out and gotten, uh, I, I can't even tell you who the impact bat would have been because they weren't going to get Soto, right? But if they had just improved the team, not just at the margins, but a little bit more towards the middle of the team, I really think that the last, that that everything since the middle of July would have looked very, very different, well, since the end of July, rather, would have looked very, very different. I just think there have been too many games that they've lost on they've lost without any contributions from Darren Ruff or, you know, I'm not going to throw hate Vogelback or Naquin's ways. Those, those guys were solid, cheap acquisitions. I'm really talking about the deadline stuff, you know, and, and Givens, although Givens has looked, you know, better the last couple of outings, even him at his best is not really what the Mets needed. Yeah. No. And, and the bullpen is something that I have, I don't know harped on, I guess, at this point, uh, going back to the, the off season during this season, uh, you know, certainly ahead of the trade deadline. And, and we are in a spot that I trust Edwin Diaz and Adam Adovino fully right now. Um, they've, they've done so much good work this year that I think they are guys who I'd be as comfortable as possible in in a playoff relief appearance, but we are in a spot that, uh, you know, we have to hope that Trevor May recently, he's been a little bit better than he was certainly before the injury. And right after he came back 
from his long stint on the injured list. But we have to hope that that arm is is maybe one that could be in a spot and and be trusted. Uh, Seth Lugo has also looked a little bit better lately. Same thing. It, there's just not that certainty. And uh, we do know that in his rehab assignment where he's working as reliever, Tyler McGill is just uh, mowing down minor league hitters. So it's just, it's a lot to hope for. And if Lugo and May are reasonably reliable, and if McGill comes back in a relief role and is dominant, and then you add him to Adovino and Diaz, it's okay. That seems like enough bullpen for, for a playoff series. But as of today, we only know that two of those five guys are, uh, at least in my opinion, guys who I would trust to play in a playoff game if it happened tomorrow. Right. And, you know, and I know people are sort of hoping that maybe um, Peterson will be a a useful lefty out of the bullpen. But I I think that's also wishful thinking for now. Right. I think McGill is a much more realistic guy to hope for in this situation because uh, he's in a position that he's doing work as a reliever in actual baseball games, not uh, like it seems like with him, it, a lot would have to go wrong for McGill to suddenly switch back into a starting role in mid to late September or October. I think, right. I think his track for the rest of this season is that he is going to be a reliever and, and that's that. Um, but yeah, Peterson's not, I mean, he, he's made a couple of relief appearances, but for the most part, he's had to make starts for the Mets. And uh, obviously that covering those innings is more important than uh, adjusting his role. Now, if the Mets lose 10 games in a row and the Braves win 10 in a row and it's wild card all the way, then you could start to say, all right, uh, let's, let's move Peterson out of that starting role because those wins and losses don't matter anymore. And right. let's just gear up everything for October. I did want to mention at some point uh, after the Braves, like waking up in the, in the morning and opening Twitter the day after the Braves tied the Mets for first place, uh, looking at Twitter was a bad idea. Yes. And one of the first tweets I saw was was like, oh, they blew the division. Let's hope they don't blow the wild card. And I was like, oh, oh, oh come on. No. <laughs> Do you know how badly things would have to go to blow the wild card? Yeah, no, it, it would have. The Braves to be. are eleven games up on the wild card right now. Right. Yeah, it would. It would have to be September two thousand five, but worse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know there are other bad Septembers, but I, I think sometimes we we forget just how bad that one was. I know that they had division leads in seven and eight and, and blew them in September, but just in terms of purely miserable baseball and losing, uh, September, 2005 was up there. <laughs> I'm, try- I'm, I'm looking it up now. I'm trying to think what their record was that month. Uh, I, remember, I remember going into that, going into that month feeling like, all right, there's a good chance they're going to make the wild card. Right. The Ramon and- Castro game was, was the peak of the season. Really, but yeah, they went into September sixty nine and sixty three, and they came out of it at eighty three and seventy nine. Oof. 
Yeah, they only won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, okay, they won. They actually well, won was... thirteen games in the in September and October that year. Okay, I, 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 I thought I thought it was less than that. Yes, so did I. Well, they, they had a winning streak. I think after it stopped mattering, I want to yeah. say they were eliminated mid, you know, like mid September, and then they won. It must have been like you know ten of the last games in September, something like that. Right, like ten of the last twelve games in September, something like that. Yeah, they went from six games over five hundred to uh, three or four games under in the span of a couple weeks. So yeah, yeah, that that rebound towards the end, as you said, where it didn't really matter anymore. Um, that sort of discredits my theory about the the <laughs> overall record, but. Yeah. Anyway, as long as the Mets don't do that, yeah, they, they, they we're probably okay. Yeah, and and it is worth pointing out our, our, the schedule has been a common topic for us. But this weekend, the Mets play the Marlins and need to take care of their own business with that. And the Braves are in Seattle, and the difference between Seattle and Oakland, who the Braves just came off just destroying with ease uh, in the standings is 27 and a half games. I was just going to say that. Yeah. (laughs) So look, there's no guarantee that Seattle is going to beat them, but Seattle has something to play for. Uh, The American league wild wild card race has got a little bit of a gap in it, but none of those three teams that are in wild card spots right now are so comfortable that they can afford to let their foot off the gas. So they, I mean, everybody, especially if you're looking at no chance at a division win like the Mariners are, uh, and a high probability of making the wild card, you want to lock up that actual playoff spot as soon as you can. So the Mariners are in a spot that if they can lock this up as soon as possible, they can start figuring out what they want to do to line up for the wild card series, like we were talking about with Peterson and the Mets and everything uh, a couple minutes ago. And that would, you know, it, it would behoove them to beat the Braves. There's no guarantee that they'll do it, but we can certainly hope. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. The, 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 a Mets fan who who I was talking to the other day in, in person um, was just like, the Braves have played so well that they can't do better than this. Basically, in right. their mind, like this is the peak of what they can do. At some point, they're going to play at a lower level than this, and I, I think I think that's fair. I mean, they've been playing. Came up on the SMY broadcast the other day, but uh, basically 800 baseball for a pretty long stretch here, and yeah, good for them. Credit to them to you know to have pulled that off. But even for the very very best teams in baseball. Uh, and, and I'm not saying this as a Braves hater. I, I think I still think the Dodgers and Astros are the two who you would look to to, to really put in that tier. I know the Braves yes. won the World Series last year, but I, I wouldn't say that they're on that level. I mean, objectively, they're not. Even the Mets aren't. Uh, even the Mets, having beaten the Dodgers in the season series, uh, that there was a very competitive, fun series over the course of the seven games that they played. Uh, even they would be several games behind the Dodgers if they were, you know, directly in competition in the standings. So 
let's hope that that all happens and let's hope that all these things that seem fairly rational just play out the way they're supposed to. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was at band practice this week, and there's two big Yankee fans in the band, and they were saying that uh, they feel like the Braves have been nipping at the Mets' heels all season, and so the Mets are prepared for what's coming. They feel like the Yankees have not been that 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 the that the Yankees had such an easy start to the season in terms of the the way that the you know the the, the division series was going that they're not they can't handle Tampa Bay and Toronto nipping at their heels now they're they're not like they basically they're they're not conditioned for this fight whereas the Mets all season have been conditioned for this fight and I think there's 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 some logic in that step into the world of power loyalty and luck I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply so the other thing we should probably talk about is um Jerry Seinfeld being uh, a wet blanket about Timmy Trumpet. First of all, I think he misses the point. So he, what he said was that, that that the Mets were quote celebrating, I guess being good by having Timmy Trumpet there, and how that's bad mojo. And this is like when the Baja Men came to the World Series. Now, I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. And Chris, I'm actually really interested to hear what you say about this. I don't think the Mets brought in Timmy Trumpet because they're winning. I thought the Mets brought in Timmy Trumpet because Edwin Diaz's entrance went viral. Now, those two things obviously have correlation, but I don't think that this was the Mets bringing in Timmy Trumpet simply because they're having a good season. At least that's not, that's not the impression I got. I just got that Diaz is pitching fantastic. The entrance went viral. Let's have some fun with it. Uh, did you see this as more of a victory lap than I did? No, no, not at all. Uh I think you're you're dead on there. Uh, capitalizing on on that and doing something that so often uh, baseball likes to talk about its its own flaws and I don't know. To me, the game's still wildly successful right now. But as much as it likes to talk about finding new fans and reaching people and all this stuff that, that you know, marketing the players that they have and all that stuff that those things come up all the time. And the Mets found a really good way to do it. Um, and I think you're right. It, it stemmed from something that really, I mean, it was already a hit at city fields and it just got more and more that way. And then SNY goes and, and decides not to go to commercial and to do, a real production based on the entrance and a ton of people see it a ton of people who maybe never would have had an interest in the Mets or baseball or Edwin Diaz or any combination of those three uh, Timmy Trumpet himself had never been to a baseball game before and showed up and was loving it um and there's just no guarantee that one I'd be fine if they had him as just the house band and he'd be there to play the trumpet every time he came in if, if he sure. wanted to. Uh, yeah. But there's 
there's no guarantee that that opportunity would present itself in the postseason if you wanted to say, oh, you have to wait for that. Uh, he's also from Australia, and as much as we all think the world revolves around the Mets, his probably doesn't. So, right. the, the you know the opportunity to say, "Hey, are you available? We'd love to have you come out and play." Um, I think was it, it, it's just the pieces came together, and uh, if there's an opportunity for him to do an in-person performance again in the postseason, then I am I'm all for it because. Uh, like let, let's not uh, one the song that is like the perfect fit right like who let the dogs out was was not cool ever nope no correct <laughs> um but but yeah i don't know um and i i felt like the uh the seinfeld comments on it i i don't know i it's always hard to tell when somebody's that famous, especially famous for being a comedian, um, or you know any real like big television personality. It's always hard to know how much do they really think what they're saying, and how much is sort of the character of themselves. Um, so I don't know. What what do you do? You think I, like I know Seinfeld has called in in the past to talk about the Mets on WFAN and. Um, Sometimes his opinions are in line with your average WFAN caller. Sometimes they're not. Um, you know, he's made appearances in the booth and all that. But I still feel like when he's that big of a like public figure, he's always on, right? Like he's it, so I don't know. It, like it's not like he's commenting on every post the Mets put up all year or SNY does, but he he decided to comment on. on on the three bad games, which Chris Bassett, I think, did a good job of putting in perspective, too. Yes, absolutely. Um, but he decided to comment on that and made it a thing. And then there were reports afterwards that some people who work for the the front office <clears throat> or the organization or whatever, uh, I, I forget how that was specifically worded, but some people who work for the Mets felt the same way that Seinfeld felt. And it was like, oh, God, like... This is just a, a little bit too much for the, the, those those people in the organization. That's that's Sandy Alderson. Let's, I, let, 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 let's just <laughs> cut to the chase here. Uh, one old grump to another. Um, that's so. Here's my position on Seinfeld. Uh, first of all, I think Seinfeld needed to do something to take the attention off of that ridiculous photo shoot he did <laughs> in Mets clothing. So I, I do think that that is, and I, I'm I'm only half kidding when I say that. I do think that that part of it is that. He realized he looks like a tool and so needed to do something to get back in the good graces of real New Yorkers or whatever. But um, let me just say once and forever, fuck Jerry Seinfeld. Don't care. <laughs> His show was great. Ever since then, he married a child. He has been a consistent crank when it comes to uh, colleges not wanting hateful comedians to say hateful things on stage. Um, he's worth a billion dollars. He made a whole TV show about how rich he is, and on that show just complains about comedy these days. Fuck that old man and his child bride. Fuck him <laughs> now and forever. There. That should get a lot of Mets fans riled up. <laughs> but that, that 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 is my position on Jerry Seinfeld. He's an old crank who has uh, stopped being funny for quite some time, and this is another example of that. Well, uh, that, that, that's... <laughs> 
I, I rarely I, come off that hot on the podcast, but here we are. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I've, I've still enjoyed his uh, his professional work, especially uh, the season of Curb that he was. Yes, that, that is heavily. that is a masterclass. Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, but uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I, I just think that there's no reason. There, there's <laughs> just because you're the world's most famous Mets fan doesn't mean you have to comment on the Mets all the time, and it certainly doesn't mean you have to comment on the Mets whenever something less than something that doesn't fit your standards happens. Like, just shut up and drive your stupid silly car around. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. now that I've alienated three quarters of our listeners, uh, <laughs> what is your music pick for this week, Chris? Oh man, I. Uh... Jeez, I don't even know where to go with a music pick for this week. I'm, I'm winging it right now. Okay. Um, I have to go to first. I, I do. I do have one lined up. If you want me to go first, uh, sure. Yeah, before you, you, you go first. I, I will say that I am very excited for and hope to be able to recommend uh, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard are putting out three records in October. So if you that, haven't that should got, get us to the postseason, <laughs> yeah. If, if you haven't gotten enough of those recommendations from me, stay tuned. But while while Brian makes his recommendation, I will settle on one of my own for today. Okay, uh, I, I t- there's actually about ten records coming up between the last week in September and the first week of October that I'm very excited about. So again, I'm looking forward to some October recommendations from both of us. Um, but today I'm going to recommend a record called West Side Soul by someone named Magic Sam. So I was not familiar with Magic Sam at all. And I honestly don't know how it got into my algorithm. I don't know if it was on a, a Spotify Discover Weekly playlist. I don't know if it was uh, something I saw on Twitter, but somebody had recommended this this record. And so I checked it out. It's from 1967. And it is, um, it's a mostly instrumental guitar record. And I feel like that is something that we think about Either in terms of like, I, I, I calling it mostly instrumental is actually a, a fallacy. I, I'm looking at the tracklist now. There are far fewer instrumentals than I remember, but it's a, it's very much a guitar album, and I feel like for um for music of of the '60s, specifically like soul music of the '60s, you don't think about the guitar as being the sort of um, dominant instrument. Until you get to guys like Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck in the late 60s. Magic Sam started in the in the late 50s and was sort of one of the like hotshot guitar players who was a session musician for Chicago blues artists. And this is the first album that he made. I believe the first full-length record he made. And uh, he died just a couple years later, very tragically and very young. But it's amazing how fresh and modern the record sounds in some ways. Like... I mean, it doesn't sound like it's modern production or anything, but just the song structure, it, it's its basically electric Chicago blues and soul, but it doesn't feel, I don't know, it just, it just, it feels vital in a way that I don't, that not all music that I hear from this era can feel, you know, in 2022. Uh, specifically, uh, there's a song called I Feel So Good, I Want a Boogie on it that I just, I've been playing it non-stop since discovering this record and overall i just i find the record uplifting and fun and a nice late summer listen so uh yeah check out magic sam's west side soul
Nice. That sounds like a good recommendation. Uh, so I'm actually surprised I haven't recommended the record I'm going to already, but um, seeing Dinosaur Jr. this weekend, and I know we've made a couple Lou Barlow recommendations over the years uh, of this show, and I did make one Dinosaur Jr. recommendation previously, but um, this is only my second officially. Uh, so their album that came out in 2016, Give a Glimpse of What You're Not, is really, really good. Um, they've it, It's not quite the same timeline as Mission of Burma because there have been regular Dinosaur Jr. records for a long time, but there was a period um, that either Murph or Lou Barlow or both weren't involved in the band. And the part where it is similar to Mission of Burma is that there were just no Mission of Burma records for a long time. But eventually, everybody who was originally in that band came back together and started to make stuff um, that's legitimately good. And like when Dinosaur Jr. first came back, I was just sort of like starting to appreciate them. Uh, and, you know, I'd seen some of those shows and they like, they're always good. It was, there was nothing wrong with it, but I am very uh, partial to the last two records that they've put out. So uh, the previous recommendation was the one that they put out in 2021, sweep it into space. Uh, and then this recommendation came out in 2016. I can't believe that record is already six years old, but yep. <laughs> uh, give a glimpse of what you're not. I just love the overall sound of it. Um, for those who, wa- oh God, I'm forgetting the name of the show. Um, oh man, a bunch of Amazing Avenue people liked it. It was a good reference too. Help uh, me out here. G- give me more. Uh, the British guy and uh, terrible, uh, everybody's like a terrible person. And uh, that doesn't really narrow it down with TV shows. God damn no, it. it. Doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before I, before I try to save myself on that reference. Um, okay. I, I really like all of it, and I do think Lou's songs, uh, on average on a Dinosaur Jr. record right now, you're going to get uh, between eight and ten songs with Jay Mascus on vocals and two with Lou Barlow. And and I love the Jay songs on this record, too. Um, but the Love Is by Lou Barlow and Left Right, which closes the record, are two of my favorites that, that he's written, either solo or Dinosaur Jr., uh, and they're both on here. And um, now can I save my, my, my TV reference? British guy, everyone's terrible. Uh, um. Okay, I'm going to find it because I remember lyrics to a song that was in the show. Okay. You're the worst. You're the worst, okay. <laughs> everyone's terrible, right? Okay, I was close. So if you watched You're the Worst, uh, the end credits always had a really good song. And uh, I Walk for Miles, which is on this record, is one of the, the, the songs with Jay Maskus on vocals. Um, that closed out one of the episodes. I, I wanted to make that reference because, again, a bunch of people at Amazing Avenue were super into that show for uh, the first couple of seasons when it was really good. Um, so, yeah, there is my long-winded roundabout reference that I was finally able to make. <laughs> But yeah, listen to it, listen to it loud, uh, and and go see them. They're playing a whole bunch of shows, and um, 
like I said, I've never seen them play a bad show, but the last few have been particularly great. Uh, so I, I love a band that's been around for a long time and can still go out and, and bring that level of intensity and also just an expertise of, oh, we've been doing this forever and like we really know what we're doing. You know, that there, there's something to be said about that. Yeah, it, 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 just a quick Dinosaur Jr. note here. It seems like you know the last record was their... I really liked Sweep It Into, Sweep it, that, Sweep it into Space a lot. It was co-produced by Kurt Vile, and I think it was the first record of theirs since the reunion that sounded a little bit different than like what you'd expect the record to sound like. like I think they, were, they stretched out a little bit there. But that notwithstanding, I feel like they've just sort of figured out what they're good at, and they just do what they're good at. Right. And I think more bands should do that sometimes. I'm all for experimentation and all of that, but like those guys are all older. This is probably a very important thing in their lives in terms of being able to pay their bills and whatnot. So the fact that they can just like hone in on what makes them special and just knock it out of the park each time, that's great. Good for them. Keep doing it, boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's... Um... I won't name other bands that have gone off in different directions, but yeah, you know, you can do it where, and I, this is no disrespect to Motorhead, like every Motorhead album sounds like a Motorhead album. Yes. Uh, I think, I think Dinosaur Jr. thrown more variety into doing what they do well than, than maybe Motorhead did. But there are some bands that have tried to stray very far from, you know, what, what they're good at. And, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't usually work. Not that far into things, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I you know, I also think that there's um, there are some bands that are just better built for that. Like you know, both of us are big Wilco fans, and I feel like Wilco is just a band that they have they have figured out a way to experiment and deviate without losing sort of the like the main thread of what makes them them, you know? And so you can, when they experiment with stuff, even when they do a country record or a really, you know, dissonant record, it still sounds like Wilco. Whereas some bands try to change up their sound and they, they forget to hold on to that tether. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And it, you know, in Wilco's case, I think it helped too that they had a couple more traditional records and then really got big with an experimental one. Yes. And then ever since then have just been a perfect blend of those two things. Um, and, and they too, it's just like, they're, they're all like, you know, everybody in both of these bands is, I think over 50 at this point. Um, but everybody's still young enough that they can bring it and they're old enough that they have a ton of experience and, and, the case of both of these bands, it's it's the long-standing experience of playing with each other. Yes. So, yeah. Um, see Dinosaur Jr., listen to this record. Uh, bring earplugs. I, I, I used to be like, oh, I'm a tough guy. I'm never going to wear those. Dinosaur Jr. is legitimately loud enough <laughs> that you should have them on hand. Yes, you should. In, in case <laughs> you end up close. Um, I've made the mistake of not once. And thankfully, I didn't get permanent like tinnitus from it. But... <laughs> But I was uh, concerned. <laughs> are they the loudest show you've ever seen? Uh, it's them and Motorhead. Okay. I still think Motorhead 
in the Webster Theater, which is much smaller than Webster Hall in New York City. The Webster Theater in Hartford, uh, Motorhead played a show there. And I still think that slightly edged out anything else I've ever seen. Boris is up there too for loudness. Uh, but I think I'd, I'd say Motorhead was the loudest show I ever saw. Dinosaur Jr. second and Boris third. Uh, so um, the loudest show I ever saw, I actually didn't see. This is a, an interesting story. So when I was in college, uh, a bunch of my friends and I got tickets to see Mogwai play in Cleveland. We were living in Pittsburgh. We drove to Cleveland. And it turns out we had bought like uh, fake scalped tickets from the internet back oh, in the no. early days of this. <laughs> and so we the show was sold out, but the the bouncer, the, whoever the person taking tickets was really nice, and he was like, listen, just trust me. Just sit with your back on the venue. You'll be fine. And I was like, okay. I thought he was going to come over and get us, right? He was like, just go sit over there, and when the show starts, I'll sneak you in. Right. But it was so fucking loud that outside the venue, it was we couldn't talk to each other next to one another because it was so loud outside the venue. Like we had like, what? What'd you say? Like it was it was crazy how loud that band was that outside the venue. It was as if we were in the room. It was the loudest I've ever I've ever heard a band play in any capacity. Nice. That, that, I would never have guessed that. No. So uh, Mogwai was just crazy, crazy loud. So, yeah, that's a lot of show I've ever been to. Uh, all right, well, this has been Music Chat, which is uh, a, a, becoming a dominant feature of uh, Amazing Avenue audio of the show. But thank you for listening to both. We appreciate it. Go to AmazingAvenue.com for more Mets news, analysis, etc. We hope that you are as optimistic about the team as we are and uh, can be more fun about it than Jerry Seinfeld can be. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Amazing Avenue. Uh, the podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast, you can find us. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McChain. I am on Twitter at Brian Internet. And until next time, let's go, Mets.